Good morning. Happy Sabbath and happy 4th of July. I always love it when holidays like 4th of July fall on the Sabbath because we get to look at it through a different lens, and that's really exciting. And I have to be honest, when I was asked to first speak, it was pre-coronavirus, pre-civil unrest, and I thought, great, 4th of July, I can do this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have the Pathfinder kids come in, have them present the colors, we'll say the Pledge of Allegiance, we'll sing a patriotic song, we'll go from there into talking about how wonderful it is to live in the U.S. and the freedoms that we have. And as time has gone by and we found ourselves isolated and under so much fear, I thought, hmm, maybe we should go a different way. Maybe we should talk about something different. And I appreciate so much the people that gave their time to present the Pledge of Allegiance to us so that we could see the diversity that is present there and to thank them for reminding us that this is a good country to come to. We may not be the best that we can be right now, but our goal is to be a country that is one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I believe in the intention of our words and how we can make those things a reality. And that's a little bit about what I want to talk about today. I also want to thank my dad and Pastor Steve for the interview that they shared with us. Um, I'm proud to share my superhero dad with everyone so that you can see what I grew up in. And clearly, I grew up in a family that wasn't, wasn't scared at all to talk about the freedoms and the benefits of living in our country and watching my dad serve our country. At 11, I watched him leave and go to Vietnam, not knowing whether he was going to come back or not. And um, understanding that he was fighting for my freedom then, um, that was important for me to understand because it's important for a child to understand why their father leaves. And I was grateful that he came back home. I want to take a minute and thank Gavin for the message that he had last Sabbath because he talked about the importance of our stories. And stories are so important because it allows us to share our faith with other people. And when they don't have that faith of their own, they can borrow our stories and use them to shore up their own faith. That's what the Bible is. It is full of stories of faith that we can borrow. And I also believe that our stories are not over. I think sometimes we think that when we go through bumps in the road in our past or trauma, something happens to us, good or bad, that it makes us who we are. Well, I agree it contributes to who we are, but the Bible tells us that God is the author and the finisher of our faith. And that lets me know that we can change and we can become better people when our eyes are fixed on Jesus. So I just want to share some stories with you this morning in the hopes that it will hmm, maybe think a little bit about how we can bring change into our world and how maybe we can change this situation that we're in one person at a time. So I want to start. I have permission to share this story. Let me tell you that right off the bat. My parents, um, my husband and I live with my parents. He and I live upstairs and they live downstairs. And I was upstairs in my office doing work and I heard my parents have a discussion downstairs and it went like this. My mom said, honey, would you like some ice cream? And my dad said, no, thank you. She said, what? And he said, no, thank you. Now, my mom is a little hard of hearing 
And she said, what? And he said, no, thank you. And she said, what? And he said, no, thank you. And she said, no, thank you, what? You see, she didn't pay attention to what she was asking him and she got so caught up in the moment of him not hearing her that she didn't remember the question that she had asked. And they sat there and looked at each other and just cracked up. I was upstairs laughing at the same time and I came downstairs and we all just sat and looked at each other and shook our heads. This is what happens when we don't hear or can't hear the words that other people are saying and what happens when we don't pay attention to what we're saying ourselves. The second story that I wanna share with you is about a friend that I made in school. When I was 57 years old, I decided to go back and get my master's in marriage and family therapy, and I specifically chose a school that was not faith-based. You see, I've worked in ministry my whole life. And when that happens, you can fall into using platitudes. Um, we know what to say when someone's grieving. We know what to say to turn them back to God. But I wanted to know what to say if someone walked into my office who wasn't a Christian. I wanted to know how to reach them, to minister to them, to bring them to a place of healing. So I chose a school where I knew I would be exposed to new ways of thinking. The first week in, somebody popped up a message on the message board and they said, anyone wanna start a study group? And I thought, wow, there isn't anybody in this class that needs a study group more than me. I mean, 57 years, I, I just hate to think how long it had been since I had even cracked a book, let alone tried to take a test. So I jumped right on. Hey, count me in. Me, me, I want to do it. Well, we were the only two. But I think that was a God thing because we got to be really, really good friends. And I found out that she was an atheist. I also found out very, very quickly that expletives were a very common part of her vocabulary. And in our text messages, rarely did a single text come through that didn't have something in there that was a word, well, let's say that I didn't use. I never said anything. I just kept talking with her in my own way. About five weeks into the class, she told me what she did for a living. And she said, you know, I realized I've never asked you what you do. I said, well, I'm actually a children's pastor. I'm an editor, and I create religious materials so that we can proselytize and teach the teachings of Jesus to small children. There was a five-minute pause before I got a text back. And when I did, it was an expletive. <laughs> now, she and I have talked over and over and over again about that, and she told me that I'm the only person she knew that was a Christian that lived in ministry that worked in ministry, that it was my life. So it was interesting to see how our friendship went from there. We became very, very, very good friends. And let me tell you how good of a friend she was to me and is to me. Right at the time that the Review and Herald closed, I went through a pretty significant crisis of faith, not so much in God, but in my church because of, well, it's hard when you lose your job. It's hard when you lose your ministry. And I was being awarded at the North American Division with the Lifetime Achievement Award, and I was invited to come to the meeting that they were having, their annual meeting, and I chose not to go. And my friend asked me why, and I said, because it hurts too much, and I have to go by myself, and I don't want to do that. She said, I'll go. 
I said, you're going to go with me to my church's annual meeting? And she said, yeah, I'll go. I said, but you don't like to be around people who are strong church talkers, and that's all that this is going to be. She said, I'll go. And she did. She went and stood beside me and was there with me the whole time, talked to me through the hurt feelings that I had, kept me balanced and on point. And when it was over, she wrote on her Facebook page, I love this woman so much that I'm willing to sit in a room of people who talk about a God that I don't believe in just to be sure that she gets the support that she needs. That's a friend. And our differences make us better friends. In fact, she said many times, if you wrote down on paper my character traits and her character traits, my likes and her likes, we would be so opposite, no one would put us together as friends. And yet she's one of my best. So sometimes the differences that we meet in people, we're afraid of them, but they end up being the things that make us stronger and make us better at what we do. Another story I want to share with you has to do with my family. Now, my hmm, great-grandfather went to a series of meetings and heard a call from Ellen White to go to Georgia to start a ministry sharing the gospel with people who did not know anything about the Seventh-day Adventist message. So he packed up the family, my grandfather included, in a covered wagon and took them off and headed for Stone Mountain, Georgia. And while they were there, they met up with other families that had answered the call and started a great ministry. They were sharing the gospel with everything, everyone that was there. They were building a strong Adventist church, a strong Adventist community. And in the midst of it, trouble broke out. Now, it's hard to really minister to others when there's turmoil going on within a group. So they decided they needed to make a change. And no one wanted to leave. No one wanted to give up their part. All of them felt by, called by God to be there. But they prayed about it. They fasted. And at the end, they were convicted that they needed to draw lots. That's kind of an odd way. We don't do that anymore. Draw straws to decide who gets the short end of the stick and has to leave. But that's what they did. My grandparents, my great-grandparents, were convinced they were meant to stay there. But you know what? After that time of prayer and fasting, the short straw ended up in my great-grandfather's hand, and they had to leave. Now, when they left, the ministry at Stone Mountain, Georgia thrived. But more importantly, my great-grandfather and my grandfather went to Lawrenceburg, Tennessee. And there, they began a work that is thriving to this day. So to me, the lesson in that is that sometimes we're the ones that have to change. It's easy to assume that others need to, but sometimes we're the ones that have to make that change. The last story that I want to share with you is a personal one, very personal to me. And it has to do with that superhero dad that you got to meet today. You see, sometimes in life we fall off the rails Sometimes we make decisions that aren't necessarily in keeping with who we were raised to be or who we morally truly are. And that happened to me one time. And I remember feeling so isolated and so alone and so lost, so guilty, so full of shame. 
I couldn't even talk with my parents. I knew that they were disappointed in me. I knew that their concerns for me were deep and great. And I wasn't sure how to make a change. I was so burdened in with everything that was going on around me and the consequences, consequences of my choices that I couldn't breathe. I woke up one morning sitting on the edge of my bed and I remember praying, God, I, I can't do this anymore and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change my life. I don't know how to get out of this. You're going to have to hold on to me because I'm not strong enough to hold on to you. I just can't do it. And immediately the thought came to me, call your father. Now, I didn't want to do that. When we're doing things that are wrong, we don't want to go to the people that remind us how we've hurt them, that remind us we should have made wiser choices, especially when there's someone like my mom and dad who, who raised me to be so much more than I was living up to at that time. But I did. I called my dad. And he said, why don't you meet me for dinner? We went to a restaurant, and I remember sitting across the table from him, and I started out justifying why I was doing what I was doing. And I was almost militant in my attitude because I wasn't going to hurt anymore. I didn't want him to know that I was hurting that deeply. But as we talked, and, and my dad, you've seen how wise he is, he just opened me up so that I was able to switch from justifying my actions to saying, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this happened. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know what to do. Daddy, I need you to fix this for me because I just can't deal with it. My dad leaned forward <clears throat> and he put his hand on mine and he said two words. He said, come home. Come home. In that moment, I could physically feel the weight fall off of me. In that moment, I had an ally. I had someone who would stand beside me, who would help me navigate this. Maybe somebody even who could help me fix it. And I remember being so grateful that I prayed that prayer that morning because I know God directed my thoughts to call my father. And I'm so grateful for the wisdom of my father to remind me that I could go home. So now all of these stories, what do they mean? Clearly they mean a lot to me, but let me see if I can tie them together. And I want to start by, by talking about a song that I've asked Jeremy to sing in closing for us. It's called Fix Me Jesus. And it is a spiritual that was sung in the fields when the oppression was so heavy that the workers could not see beyond what was happening. They couldn't look to a better place. They couldn't imagine a change. And they would pray, fix me, Jesus. They would sing this song, fix me. Fix me for a higher ground. Fix me on that starry crown. Fix me for a heaven that I can look to. Fix me so that this oppression falls by the wayside. I'm so grateful that I learned that song and it means the world to me because the, I can't tell you how many times I've sung that. <clears throat> Sadly, making erroneous choices and unwise decisions doesn't only happen once sometimes with those of us that are a little hard-headed. But uh, I'm grateful for that song because it reminds me to look to Jesus. 
it reminds me that there is a change that can take place from the oppression that is around me. And it brings me to today, because I'll be honest with you, between the, the isolation of COVID-19 and the civil unrest that's around us, there's an oppression that is present. And seeing people hurt, wanting to make a change to bring us to a better place. And I can't help but wonder if that song, if that prayer, hold on to me, fix me, Jesus, fix me on you, fix my eyes on the heaven that you have for us so that there is something that I can look forward to that brings me hope, that gives me a relief from the weight that I am bearing. There's a verse in John 16, that says this, the father is with me. I've told you this so that, that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties, but take heart. I've conquered the world. Looking to Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, fixing our eyes on heaven, it releases that oppression so that we can have hope so that we can look and imagine and believe that change can happen. Change, like being able to listen when we can't hear and paying attention to the words that we speak. Change, like recognizing that being different is wonderful and gives us an opportunity to grow, to learn from each other, to be better people. Change in recognizing that we might be the ones that need to change instead of wishing that everybody else around us would. And change for the hope of heaven. Now, someone asked me one time, they weren't a Christian, weren't a believer at all. And they said to me, you know, you're gonna feel pretty stupid if you've lived your life looking and hoping for heaven and there is no heaven. And my response to them was, is that the beauty is that striving for heaven, looking to heaven, hoping for heaven has a wonderful consequence in that it changes us here on earth. It makes us better. It gives us that ability to see where we can be better people. And I'm so grateful for that. The hymn that Jeremy and the choir sang at the beginning, Softly and Tenderly, Jesus is Calling, says, See on the portals, he's waiting and watching watching for you and for me. God is there. He's there waiting for us to turn to him, to look to him, to fix our eyes on him so he can fix us. And I'm so, so thankful for that. I'm looking to Jesus to be the author and the finisher of my faith. And that's my prayer for you too. And honestly, and quite frankly, that promise, that promise and hope of heaven that promise that we can change and become better people, that promise that the oppression that is around us will dissipate because God has conquered the world and looking to him will bring us to a place of peace and joy. I have to tell you that that is why I follow Jesus. <laughs>